Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Many, for many years, I uh, coached kids soccer. My kids were young and they were growing, love soccer, America's game. But I, I would coach their teams. And, and part of what I loved about coaching soccer was actually the end of the game where and those of you who are parents with kids in soccer, you probably have done this. You get the parent tunnel at the end of the game, and all the parents, you know, stand arm to arm, and, and the kids run through. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. Kids run through, and everybody's yelling and screaming, and, and it's kind of like this party. You'd be like, hey, great job, guys. You did it. Great game. Well, I was thinking about that this week, and I thought, there's an adult version to that. And the adult version to that is when, you know, the local team wins the championship. And then there's a parade through downtown. And, and some of you may have been a part of this. In 2018, when the Warriors won their, their third championship within four years, they have a parade in downtown Oakland. And that parade, it's estimated, brought in one million people to downtown Oakland. Now, guaranteed, not all of those, in fact, probably most of those people were not diehard Warriors fans. They were bandwagon fans. You know, they're, they're there because the team won, but, you know, if next year the team doesn't do as good, if the winning percentage goes down, they're gone. They're not around, but they're ready for the party. They're up for the party, and so they went downtown Oakland to do this. And this actually kind of plays out a little bit in life in general also. You know, maybe you, you get celebrated for a, a project, for something you've done at school that you just put yourself into, and and they recognize you for it. Or maybe it's at work because you've, you've increased profits for the company or, or, or your sales have just gone off the chart. Or, or maybe it's, you know, you're, mo- you're a mom and your kids are like, Mom, you're the greatest ever. But then tides shift and things change, attitudes change. And suddenly where you were being celebrated, now you find yourself, you're on the out. In fact, some of you may have seen this. This last week, a a mom, as many of you moms are now homeschooling, and I'm sure some of you dads are in there also homeschooling your kids. A a mom posted this note this week written by her son as she was homeschooling him. And, And the note says this, it's not going good. My mom's getting stressed out. My mom is really getting confused. We took a break so my mom can figure this stuff out. And I'm telling you, it is not going good. Now, part of me wonders, like, who's the kid writing the note to? He's being homeschooled. Is he, like, throwing it out the window, hoping somebody finds it and rescues him? I, I don't know. And maybe some of you kids watching, you can relate to that, or you moms are thinking, yeah, I'm sure we're there. Well, here's what I want to do with us today. Here's where we're headed today. I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to leave you with a question. And that's basically it. And the story is this. The story is about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now, the, the triumphal, it comes from this Roman ceremony, the triumphus. And it was a, it was a ceremony that would celebrate a, a, a returning victorious king or a, a returning victorious general who had 
conquered another city or had conquered another nation and, and is returning back home. And basically, they're throwing the ticker tape parade for when they come back home. It's, it's the highest honor that they could be given at the time. And this is where this kind of gets this name of Jesus entering the, the, the city of Jerusalem in this story. And, and we're going to look at the story from four different perspectives. And the four different perspectives are this. We're going to look at it from a guy named Matthew who wrote one of the Gospels. And Matthew was a tax collector. He was someone who collected money from his own people for a, a foreign oppressing government. He was hated by his own people. And yet he heard an invitation from Jesus to follow him, and his life was changed. He became uh, one of the 12 disciples, an eyewitness to the life and the events of Jesus. And then we're going to look at uh, the story from the perspective of Mark. Now, Mark was a companion of Peter, another one of the 12 disciples, and, and also a traveling companion of, of Paul. And if you're familiar with Paul, he traveled the whole Mediterranean world, planting churches after Christ. And, and Mark is writing from uh, firsthand accounts of, of Peter, who walked with Jesus. Then we're going to see it from Luke's perspective also. Now, Luke was a physician, okay, so highly organized guy. He was a Gentile, he wasn't a Jew, but he became a Christ follower. And Luke tells us at the very beginning of, of his account that he wrote, the Gospel of Luke, that he wanted to write an orderly account of everything that happened based off eyewitness interviews and his own personal investigation. And then the fourth view we're going to get is from John. John, one of the, the first ones to follow Jesus, the first four disciples, and walked alongside Jesus an eyewitness of all that happened. So these four perspectives mixed together, we're going to look at this story today. So, so here's the story. We begin with Mark, and Mark says, as they approached Jerusalem, Jesus and the disciples, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Now, here's where they're headed. You know, they're headed up towards Jerusalem, and here's what's going on at the time. It's Passover right now. And so the city of Jerusalem this time is probably 80 to 100,000 people, but it's, it's swelling by two, three, four times its size with pilgrims coming in to the city, jamming the streets. I mean, literally just people everywhere. And Passover is an eight-day celebration that remembers the, the emancipation of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, where God passed over the homes of the Israelites in the final of the ten plagues. And what God had told the, the Israelites to do is to, to take a, a perfect spotless lamb and, and sacrifice it and spread some of the blood over your doorposts. Door and, and as this final plague sweeps through the land with that sign, I will pass over you and your firstborn will be spared. And so Passover is a celebration remembering that. And so as these hundreds of thousands of people are thronging into the city of Jerusalem, they're, they're bringing lambs with them, hundreds of thousands of lambs. In fact, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, told us that in one year, over 256,000 lambs were slain. So this is where Jesus and the disciples are, are heading up to right now. Jer Jerusalem in the midst, the beginning of Passover. And, and we pick up with John. John says, and the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anybody asks you, 
why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Okay, so here's what's going on. Literally, like Jesus is telling two of the disciples, like, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and, and find that brand new, undriven Tesla of your neighbor, okay? And I want you to climb inside of it and start it up. And if your neighbor happens to come running out and just, you know, I can picture this, like your neighbor's like standing in front of the car, like, whoa, 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 why are you going with my car? Just say, hey, Matt needs it. And he'll send it back when he's done. You know, that's kind of the idea of, of what's going on here. And what's happening is actually it's, it's a Roman custom called Angiria, which says that a Roman uh, statesman or, or a Roman figure, a public figure, military figure, they could come up to anybody and basically say, hey, I need your animal, I want your animal, I'm going to use your animal, and they could take it. And you had no recourse. You could not stop them. But, you know, at least Jesus is like, hey, when I'm done, I'm going to send it back. Tell them not to worry about it. They'll get it back. So Matthew picks up and he says, now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now, here's what's amazing about this. 500 years, 500 years prior to Jesus, a prophet named Zechariah wrote these very words, prophesying about the coming Messiah. He prophesied about the animal that the coming Messiah would ride in on, a donkey. He prophesied about the attitude the coming Messiah would come in with, humble, gentle. And here Jesus is, is literally living this out in front of the people. And with this, Jesus begins the countdown to the cross. Mark picks up the story and he says, So they went and they found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and as they untied it, some people standing there asked, like, Hey, uh, what are you doing untying the colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the field. Now, just picture this scene. Just imagine it as, you know, you're there in your living room or your office or wherever you might be right now. Like, picture this scene. Like, people are standing shoulder to shoulder, all these onlookers. Like, it's packed with the amount of people that are there. And they're looking down this dirt road because they know that Jesus is coming. And, you know, there's kind of this anticipation, this this tension in the air, and, and maybe the woman next to you is, is on her tiptoes, or you know, maybe the young girl is on her dad's shoulder, and, and they're trying to see, you know, when's he coming, when's he coming? And off in the distance, you begin to get this glimpse. You see this donkey riding. Now you're thinking, why a donkey? You know, donkeys aren't real great in our culture, but this is actually what royalty would ride at the time. Kings would ride on donkeys, generals would ride on donkeys. Jesus is riding on a donkey. And as you're watching this, you know, people are throwing their their jackets down on the ground, and, and so you hear this like crack behind you, and you turn around, and guys ripping branches off of a tree, and they're spreading them out on the road. I mean, this is like a real scene going on here. It's like they're rolling out the red carpet as Jesus approaches the city. Now, John tells us that the branches that, you know, the guy behind you is ripping off and throwing on the ground, these are palm branches. 
So, you know, if you're not a church-going person and you, know, you just happen to click in here and you're watching this, you've always wondered, like, yeah, why do they call it Palm Sunday? I don't understand. Hey, mystery solved. There you go. That's a freebie just for you. But this is the triumphus. This is the triumphal entry. This was the celebration like the Romans would have that the people thronging into the city now begin to throw. It was how they welcomed a victorious king returning from battle. The palm branches were a symbol of, of victory and of joy. Now, it's interesting, too. Palm branches, since they you know, often grew out in the desert, they were a sign that, that a life-giving activity was near, that a life-giving activity was approaching. And for the Jews, palm branches held even more significance because for the Jews, they were a symbol of, of nationalism. It was a symbol of, of nationalism since the time of the Maccabees, which was a revolt that when the, the, the Jews revolted against the um, Seleucids. Seleucids. And, and this is when uh, Antiochus IV uh, Epiphanes came in and was trying to destroy the Jewish culture, and, and the Jews revolted against him. And palm branches became like this national symbol of their fight against foreign oppressors, oppressors. And so it's almost like our king is here. He's going to bring us freedom. And so Luke picks up the story and he says, And the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven, even the king of Israel. It's almost like it's a coronation happening in front of the people's eyes. They're shouting. The, the verb that's used here is literally describing like, like screaming, like shrieking. It's, it's bordering on this, this frenzy, this mass hysteria, probably kind of like the warrior celebration was in 2018. And they're shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. Please save us. And you have to ask yourself, what were they expecting? What were they wanting salvation from? You see, I think a lot of the people there at that moment, they were expecting, they were about to see a revolution. The coming king is coming to free us from our oppressors. Now, in the middle of this story, John like just hits a pause button for a second. And he has like this, this moment of self-reflection. And John says, at first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John has this moment of hindsight. Now, we've all had a moment of hindsight. I mean, we've all experienced this, where we've looked back at things in life, where we've looked back at decisions we've made, or we've looked back at things that we've done. You know, we've looked back at relationships we've had. We've looked back at weekends we regret or, or missed opportunities that we wish we could have again or, or business partnerships maybe we wish we never would have entered into. Or, or maybe for, as you, for you it was that experience in high school where you felt pressured to do something you didn't want to do and then chose to do something you wish you could take back. And John stops, and I, I imagine what's a moment of, of self-reflection, a, a moment of transparency, and a moment of, of honesty looks back, and he says, oh, by the way, we missed it. We didn't see it. How? 
How? How did they miss it? You see, Jesus had already told them, in essence, three times at this point, like, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And, and they're just not putting pieces together. It wasn't what they were expecting. And, and here's the tension. The tension is between what we want or what we need not matching up with what God is doing. The tension is when, when we're so caught up in the moment that we lose the bigger picture. You see, the tension is this. The tension is when our expectation and his intention are not in alignment. The tension is, is when our expectation and his intention are not in alignment. The people were expecting a coming Messiah to free them from the oppression of a foreign rule, a foreign government. Jesus came to free from the power of sin and death. Jerusalem at the time was full of hundreds of thousands of lambs that were being brought as a sacrifice for the year to, to free the, symbolically the people of their sins. And Jesus came to, to, to be the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, to die once and for all as the final sacrifice. You see, in, in our entire faith, our entire belief system is built on hindsight. You see, we depend on the past to see what's important enough to us in the present that we can trust our futures to that faith. We look back to see what's been done, what God has done to establish us in the present so that we can trust our future to the faith that we have. The Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard, he said that life can only be understood backward, but it must be lived forward. And what's interesting is we often don't understand what God is doing until we're on the other side of it. We can look back. And frequently, it's only as we look back that we can see the how and the what and the when of what God was doing working on our behalf. So Luke picks up the story and he says, now some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You need to quiet them down. You need to reprimand that this is getting out of hand and out of control and it needs to stop now. Deal with it. And Jesus replies, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, let's just be honest, okay? We can all agree with this, everybody at home, we can agree with this. That would just be weird and frightening all at the same time. Like, it would just be weird and frightening. Like, if they don't do what Jesus says, the stones are going to start rocking and rolling. And that'll hit some of you later. You'll get it. Some of you, you'll have to let the younger people know all about that. But, you know, and maybe you're thinking, no, Scott, it's happening right here in our living room. If you could only hear, like, my family singing with Michaela. It's like the stones are crying out right now. But Jesus says, hey, if they don't do it, the stones would actually start. In. Would that happen? Probably. I mean, how often does God use the unusual or the unexpected to get our attention? And then Matthew, Matthew says this, and when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? You see, you don't have to be a Christ follower. You don't have to claim to be a person of faith to recognize that, like, Jesus is creating a very intentional scene here. It's a, it's a mixture of 
prophecy and, and symbolism and himself. It's, it's the timing and the tension of the moment that he's going into Jerusalem. And nobody has attracted as much attention and, and devotion and criticism and adoration and, and opposition as Jesus has. And throughout, you know, thousands of years, philosophers and theologians and historians have studied him. And, you know, nowadays we have online critics and supporters who, who debate him. And some of you have asked this very question as, as you watch your family and you watch your friends live out their faith. Who is this? Some of you have asked this question because what Jesus says is so different from the societal wisdom and the, and the ways of thinking of our, of our day. And some of you have asked this question as, as you search to find something to fill just what's missing inside of you that nothing else has been able to fill to this point. So that's the story, and that's the question. Who is this? Jesus asked it this way. He asked the disciples once, who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus takes the question, and he makes it personal. Who do you say that I am? And here's my question to you. What will your hindsight say was your answer? What will your hindsight say is your answer on the other side of this pandemic, on the, on the other side of this shelter in place? What will your hindsight say is your answer on the other side of, of economic loss or on the, on the other side of the choices that you're making today or on the other side of very possibly losing someone close to you? I found out this week that one of my immediate family has been diagnosed. And man, we were all praying that this is going to get beat and, and healing will come to their body. But what will your hindsight say was your answer? Pastor and author Craig Rochelle, he says this, what we call God reflects how well we know him. What we call God reflects how well we know him. And how we answer this question reflects what we believe about him. How we answer determines how we trust him. How we answer impacts our relationship with him. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, wrote these words. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no and this is how Isaiah answered the question. Oh, he's wonderful counselor. I mean, he is, he is incomprehensible with the wisdom he possesses and, and his ability to guide through the unknown. He's the mighty God. He is all powerful. Nothing is beyond his ability. He's the everlasting father, the father who will never leave you, the father who will never abandon you. He was God before, he's God during, and he will still be God after. And he's the prince of peace. The word is shalom. It's this calm, tranquility, a deep abiding peace with our creator that cannot be taken away. It's interesting when, when you think of hindsight that so often hindsight is a view of regret. It's a, I wish I hadn't, or if I only would have known, or 
if, man, if I could do it over again, or if I could take that back, or if I could redo what I did, if I could only change whatever it might be. And one day, as you're telling the stories of, you know, being stuck at home and, oh, man, it was the great shelter in place of 2020, and as you're looking back in hindsight, how will you have answered the question of who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of quarantine, in the midst of anxiety, in the, in the midst of financial need, in the midst of a sliding stock market, in, in the midst of fear, in the midst of a struggling business? Who do you say Jesus is in the midst of a household straining at the seams, or maybe your very own sanity straining at the seams? Who do you say Jesus is in the midst of fill in the blank? Because you see, how we're living, the choices we are making, the attitudes we're choosing right now are all answering this question for us, and they're answering it for those that are watching us. Your children sitting next to you, your spouse, your family, your friends. Maybe it's your employees who know your faith. Maybe it's your neighbors. How we live now is answering the question, who do you say that I am? Now, as Jesus enters Jerusalem, what he knows is that by the end of the week, the chants, the screams, all about him, the frenzy will be very, very different from what it is as he's entering into the city. But he also knows there will be no question who he is as the following weeks dawns. So that's for next Sunday. Let's pray. God, I pray for, for all of us, for all who are gathered together as a family, for all who find themselves alone in an apartment somewhere right now, for all who have been isolated from those who are closest to them, whose community is, has been shut off, who is facing uh, financial, serious financial need, who's found out they've been furloughed from their employment, from their job, who's wondering what is the next month going to look like in this scenario. Lord, I pray that in, in the midst of all of that, that we would make the choice, that we would decide, that we would determine who we say you are to us, that we would model that for those that are around us. And that we would just like drive our stake into the ground that no matter what is happening around me, this is who Jesus is to me. This is who God is to me. And let us hold fast to that and hold fast to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. We meet on Sunday mornings at 8.45, 10, and 11.15. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today.